This morning, um, we are continuing a sermon series in the Gospel of John. If you remember, we've, uh, we've seen uh, throughout the story of John that he's written this book, this marvelous story of Jesus' life, his teachings, uh, his, the, the signs that he performed. As he says, so that we might believe that Jesus is who he says he was and that believing we might find life in his name. And so uh, we are going to turn this morning to John, chapter, starting in chapter 13. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also." And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, know, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Amen. See everybody working the fans again. Sorry for the, the lack of heat. We do have windows open, hopefully getting some cross breeze. I think this is Willie's attempt to teach me the wisdom of the rag for the preacher. <laughs> one, of the, one of my favorite movies that I saw this past year was the movie Dunkirk. Uh, you may have seen it. it. It tells the true story of the Battle of Dunkirk which is the very outset of World War II, uh, thousands of British uh, military people, uh, the ex British Expeditionary Force, had been driven by the Nazis all the way uh, to the coast of France, where they awaited rescue, awaited boats or planes or some way to get uh, from there on that beach just across the English Channel back to England. And there's this one scene where the camera uh, zooms in on two sailors sitting on the beach, or two uh, infantrymen sitting on the beach, and one says, looking out over the ocean, says, it looks so close, doesn't it? What does? Home. See, it looks so close, it was the same uh, English channel that they would have looked out on from their side of the channel every day, but now it also seems so far away, from home, from home, from that place of love and safety and warmth and comfort, seemed a million miles away from this beach where they faced bombs and bullets and warfare. It seems so close, and yet home uh, seems so far away. What comes to your mind when I say the word home? If you were to, to close your eyes uh, for just a minute and I were to say home, what's the mental image uh, that would come into your mind? You know, maybe, uh, maybe for some of you it would have been uh, the home that you grew up in. The home of our childhood should seem safe and loving and comfortable. 
Maybe for some of you, it's the, the home that you uh, raised your own children in, that warmth of everyone being in the home together. Maybe uh, for you, it's home around the holidays. When I picture home, I often picture a, a fireplace and stockings hung, a time of warmth and joy and welcome. What comes to mind uh, when we think of home? You know, of course, uh, we know that in the fallen world, every home in some way is a broken home, right? That whatever that sentimental vision of home that you have, like those sailors at Dunkirk, it's both immediately, it seems so close, and yet if we're honest, it feels so very far away, right? After the fall, every home's a broken home. Maybe when you think of, of that home of your childhood, it's a, it's a home before, before the divorce, before the addiction, before the abuse, before, uh, before somehow your home was broken. It may be just the, the normal breaking that happens in a home. It might be that you remember the home that you had when your children were there, and then as God intends, they eventually grow and move out, and now it feels more empty. Right? Or maybe it's the home of holidays, but of course, holidays were never as homey as we remember them. Uh, there was always conflict. Uh, there was always things that weren't as they were supposed to be. Home, it seems so close and yet so very far away at times. And yet all of us long to go back home. We long to find ourselves back in a place of love and acceptance, comfort and safety. We want to get back home. And so many of our best stories follow the, the, the longing, the quest to get home as though we somehow know that life is a journey home. Right, and from, as, from as far back as Homer's Odyssey, right, the story of Odysseus trying to get home to safe, safety, to those, the story that many of us grew up with in the 1980s, E.T., the story of a little guy just desperate to phone home, to get home, to be home, right? So much of our lives is a desire, a longing to get back home. And the Gospel of John tells this story in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, the Gospel of John is the story of our longing for home and of our coming home. It picks up the biblical narrative that tells us that we were made for God and that we are only ever truly at home when we rest in him. Right? The story of our first parents is the story of Adam and Eve made to dwell with God, made to be at home with God in Eden, and then through their own sin and pride, leaving their home, ruining and spoiling the only home their heart had ever known and being cast out from God's presence in God's desire to gather them and to gather us back home to himself into a relationship with him that is love and comfort and safety and acceptance. The Gospel of John begins with the story that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that in Jesus God was coming to us so that we could dwell with God again, so that we could find in him our home. And of course, his disciples, intuiting something of this offer in Jesus, leave everything they ever had. They left the only semblance of home that they had known in this life to follow after Jesus, to become homeless with him for a time. In the hunch, in the notion, in the longing that he might at last bring them home, that he might at last bring them to where their hearts could rest. And yet here in John 13, we begin to get a hint, the disciples begin to get a hint that their journey with Jesus may not end at home. It may not end with the resolution that they long for. Jesus says 
to Peter in verse 36. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Peter asked in verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. The disciples, like those sailors on the, on the beach of Dunkirk, say, home looks so close, we followed so far, and yet it seems so very far away. Jesus says, essentially, you may not get there with me. Right? Where I'm going, you cannot follow. In fact, you think you're strong enough to follow, but actually, one of you will betray me, Peter, you will deny me, and all of you, in the, in the moment of testing, will walk away. Where I'm going, you cannot follow right now. And so Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. I love the tenderness in Jesus' words here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why were their hearts troubled? Well, of course, their hearts were troubled because of what they had just heard. And I think, although it, it can seem to us like we are far removed from this, this is a story of Monday, Thursday, the Thursday before Jesus was betrayed and arrested on the way to the cross. Though our situation can seem far removed from that of the disciples, I think that the same things that trouble their hearts are the things that trouble our hearts. The two things that troubled them were essentially, first, their own weakness and sin. Right? Peter's just been told, you will deny me. And so considering his own weakness, considering his own frailty, his own tendency to sin, his heart was troubled and our hearts are troubled when we think about our own weakness. And then their hearts were troubled because of Jesus' apparent absence, right? This man who'd walked with them closely, visibly for three years is now telling them that I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to be away from you. I'm going to go somewhere that you can't follow. And so they're not going to be able to see Jesus. They're not going to be able to talk to Jesus. He's going to seem distant from them. And as I think of my life, those two things often sum up why the Christian faith is so hard for me. Why waking up and following Jesus another day can seem so troubling. First, because I know my own weakness. I know that the same sinner that I am on, on this day is the same guy I was yesterday, is the same guy I was a couple days before. The same struggles that I battled against years ago often still tempt me, right? Belief continues to be hard, that my own frailty makes it hard. And then God's seeming distance makes it hard, right? You pray, you want to experience him, you want to know somehow that he's near to you, and yet he can seem distant. We pray and nothing seems to happen. We don't seem to feel him or, or experience him in any way that lets us know that we know that it's true. And so we can seem distant. And those two things trouble our hearts. I don't know what it is for you as you sit here today that troubles your heart. But I do know you all well enough, and I know human beings well enough to know that it's something. Right? Maybe it's your journey in recovery. Right? Your own battle against addiction and sinful patterns in your own life. And it just seems so hard. And it doesn't seem to be getting any easier. It was, uh, you know, you hoped that as the days mounted up and you, and you got into it, that it was going to get easier and easier. But it's still, the temptation is right there. The hunger's right there. And you consider your weakness. And it seems so hard. 
Or maybe it is you're wrestling with unbelief. Maybe it's, you know, coming to church just by in and of itself is hard for you. Because you know that you're gonna sing songs and you're gonna pray prayers, but at the end of the day, you're not sure there's anything on the other side of it. Right, God seems distant. He seems far away. And your hearts are troubled. Or maybe you're going through a really hard time. Maybe you're in the midst of, maybe you're a student and you're in the midst of a school year that just doesn't seem to end. Right? Maybe you have relational difficulties that just don't show any signs of finding reconciliation or a job situation that just isn't getting any better. And you, like the disciples, are tempted to wonder, are we even going to make it? Am I going to make it home? Am I going to make it where Jesus told me that we were headed? And so Jesus tells them, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Here, this is the promise of what Jesus says in this passage. He says, you will get home. You will get home. And when you do, it will not be because of your own strength, or your own effort, or your own goodness. It won't even be because of the strength of your faith. If you get home, and when you get home, it will be because I grabbed you, and I took you there. And that I have gone to prepare a place for you. Right at the end of the day, when we have our homecoming, when we dwell again with God, what we were made to have, we will not get to be the hero of that story. We will not get to tell everybody about how when we were tempted, we persevered and we overcame. How when we were struggling with belief, we somehow mustered up heroic faith. No, our story will be, I was weak and I was foolish. I was often tempted. I was often stumbling. Sometimes I didn't even believe. And yet Jesus got me here. Jesus made a place for me, a home for me in my father's house. That home that we were created for, that home of love and intimacy and safety and warmth, the, the home that our first parents had with God, Amen. that we, like the prodigal sons, ran away from, yes. Jesus is gathering us back yes, so that we could dwell forever, forever, forever Amen. with God. Yes. Notice the way that Jesus defines heaven here, that you might be where I am. Right, heaven is simply where Jesus is. Right, to be joined to Jesus, to be joined to Jesus is to be at home. It's to be at rest. It's to be at peace. And I love this promise that he will come back and take you there. Right, that's of course we believe true in the ultimate sense that one day Jesus will return, right, and will make all things right, will make heaven on earth. But it's also true for each one of us in individual sense, as we face death, as we face the, the fear of our end, that Jesus will return for each of us in order to gather us back, in order to gather us back to the Father's house. And you know, as if that weren't uh, good news enough, right? As if it weren't good enough news that in this life, yes, we have trouble and we struggle and we doubt, but in the end, we get to go home. The promise is actually much more than that. You see, over the next several chapters, uh, and, and we're going to look at each of these chapters, the promise that Jesus offers 
The very next, uh, the very next chapter that we'll look at next week, or the continuation of 14, is that Jesus is going to send his Holy Spirit to live, to dwell within us. Right? So here's what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Amen. Right? I've prepared a place for you with the Father. So through the Son, you have access to the Father. And I'm going to send my Spirit to dwell in you. Amen. So through the Son, you have the Father and you have the Spirit. And he's going to go on to say, he's going to go on to lay out a way of life for his people so that they, we, abide in him. And he abides in us because he abides in the Father. Abiding is just a, a fancy word for live. So that he lives with us by his spirit. We live in him by faith and he lives with the Father. And so the, the, what he's charting out for us is this. One day you will get home. But you don't have to, to wait for that one day. You can have a home, an abiding sense of resting with God here in this life. You have a home, a, a heaven with God that you can actually experience in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your unbelief, that joined to Jesus, we have a home with God. We dwell with God here and now by faith. We have his spirit. He actually makes his home in us. By prayer, we dwell, we live with our father as children, like we prayed earlier. As sons and daughters, we have our father's ear. We, Jesus tells us later on in this chapter that anything we ask in his name, the father gives us, he hears us, that we are sons and daughters of God. And so Jesus says uh, to Peter, let not your hearts be troubled. To go back up uh, to verse 36, he says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. He goes on to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. You see, the reason that Peter can't follow Jesus to the Father is that Jesus hasn't yet opened the way to the Father. What he's saying is that what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do on the cross, is opening a way a path that isn't open now, right? Human beings have never, in our sin, don't have the ability to find our own way back to God, right? Not our own wisdom, not our own goodness, not our own ingenuity. We could never find our way back home. But Jesus says to Peter, I am going to open up the way for you, to open up a path through my broken body, through my shed blood, through the cross, so that you can come home to the Father. You can't follow me now. Your death isn't sufficient to open up the way. Your life isn't good enough. Your, your faith isn't strong enough to open the way. But I am going to the cross to open up the way to get to the Father. And now we struggle with this, don't we? If Jesus had said, I am a way, and I am a truth, and I am a way of life, modern Americans would not have much of a difficulty with it. But we choke on the words, I am the way. I am the only way. I'm not, one of, I'm not one of hundreds. I'm not one of dozens. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm not one perspective on truth. I'm not one teacher that came to offer truth. I am the truth. And I'm the life. I'm the only way because life dwells in Jesus. There's no other way to have at that life. Now, of course, we know that there are as many different paths as there are human beings, right? Each one of us has our own stories. Each one of us has our own struggles, our own weaknesses, our own doubts. Each one of us has our own journey. 
but the way always goes through the way. It always goes through the cross, right? Bringing each of our stories, bringing each of our doubts, our own unique experiences. Jesus says only through the cross. If there were more than one way, the cross wouldn't be necessary, right? If it, if it was up to, if, if, if there were many different ways to get good enough, to believe the right things, to do the right way, then the cross never would have been necessary. The Father never would have sent his beloved Son to have to die if there were multiple ways open. But Jesus came and said, there is no way, but through me there will be a way. There will be a door that's open between this world and the Father's house so that you can step through it and come. I'm reminded of one of my favorite stories uh, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, in The Silver Chair, uh, one of the books, this girl named Jill uh, finds herself wandering through the woods. She's left alone by her friends. She has no way of, of, of knowing her way out, and she's dying of thirst. And she comes at last to a stream that, that seems so rich and so life-giving. She hears it trickling out of the mountains, and she begins to run towards the stream, but then she stops dead in her tracks, and she sees the lion, Aslan, who's the, in, in Lewis's stories, Aslan is the Christ figure depicted as a lion, both gentle and strong. And so as you would if you found yourself dying of thirst, but between you and the stream is a lion, she stops. But then the lion talks. He says, if you are thirsty, come and drink. It was a deeper, wilder, and stronger voice, a sort of heavy and golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in a, in a different way. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would, would you mind going away while I do? The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. Then delicious, the delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Well, then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. You see, as we've said, each of us is desperately hungry and thirsty for God, hungry for the, the only home that we were made for. And there is no other way, there is no other stream, there is no other place to go to meet that thirst than through Christ. We may wish there were other ways, ways that didn't require us to admit the very worst about ourselves, that we are weak and sinful and desperate, but there is no other way to come to the Father except through the Son. And for all who do, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, today in this life and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that by your cross, you have opened up a way for us to come home to your Father and to our Father. A way for us to become the sons and daughters of God. Lord, in this journey, we are at times weary. We know our weakness. We know our sinfulness. We know our frailty. And yet, Lord Jesus, you take us in your hands and you promise that you will bring us home. 
Lord, when our faith is weak, we pray that you would help our unbelief. When we give in again and again to sin, to temptation, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would whisper your grace to us and restore us to yourself. Lord Jesus, we thank you that though we have looked in hundreds of other places, that there is no way for us to come home except through the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for the way that you have opened for us. Lord, we pray that we would not tire of walking in it, of dwelling with you, and that one day soon we will dwell in perfect unity with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.